الحمد لله الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له ونشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله صلوات ربه وسلامه عليه وعلى اله واصحابه ومن دعا بدعوته الى يوم الدين اما بعد beloved brothers and sisters alaykum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks in the holy quran Allah says al-yawma akmaltu lakum deenakum wa atmamtu alaykum ni'mati wa raditu lakum al-islam deena and the nabi sallallahu alayhi says in the hadith latunqadanna ur al-islam urwatan urwa fakullama intaqatat urwatun تشبث الناس بالتي تليها فاولهن نقطا الحكم واخرهن الصلاه وكما قال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم The first verse which I quoted of course is a very famous verse in Surah Ali Imran Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala says Al-yawma akmaltu lakum deenakum today if I perfected for you your faith and we know this verse was revealed on the day of Arafah the only day that the Prophet spent on Arafah. That was the first and the last. That was his first hajj and his last hajj. And this verse was revealed there to the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And Umar ibn al-Khattab was one day asked by a Jewish man and said to him that there is a verse in your book which if it was revealed to us, we would have made that day a day of celebration. And so Umar said, yes, I know the verse. The verse is this verse. Today, Allah says, If I perfected for you your faith, and I've completed my favor upon you, and I have chosen for you Islam as your way of life, as your path to paradise, your path to Jannah. That path is called Islam. The deen by Allah is Islam. Next week, we have two celebrations. One is the Bid'ah celebration, and the other one, of course, is Christmas celebration. And of course, there is a, we need to talk about both, because both concern the prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The first one, a prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is used, and the second one, a prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is cele- prophet's birthday celebrated, namely, Isa alayhi salatu salam. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, of course, speaks extensively about Nabi Isa salam in the Qur'an. In Surah, <coughs> Surah Maryam, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, that Nabi Isa says, himself he says, As-salamu alayya. On me be peace, yawma hulittu, the day I was born, wa yawma amutu, the day that I die, wa yawma uba'atu hayya, and the day that I'm raised up again, inshallah. Yeah, there is this thing mentioned by Allah. So Allah talks about his birth, Allah talks about his death, and Allah speaks about the day that he will again rise on the day of Qiyamah by the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Again, in Surah Ma'idah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks again about Nabi Isa alayhi salatu salam. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, رَبَّنَا أَنزِلْ عَلَيْنَا مَائِدَةً مِّنَ السَّمَاءِ تَكُونُ لَنَا عِيدًا لِأَوَّلِنَا وَآخِرِنَا وَآيَةً مِّنْكَ Again, yeah, the Bani Israel had asked, this is after Musa brought him out of the clutches of Fir'aun and the oppression of Fir'aun, what is the first thing they said? Ask your Allah for a sign. We, we, want, we want you to bring a sign from Allah that you are on the straight path. We want you to bring a sign from Allah that your deen is the true deen. And we want Allah to send us a sign. We want him to send down for us food from heaven. SubhanAllah. That is the one Israel. Not only that, it must be on a table. We don't want it to fall from the sky. No, Allah must send a table 
with food on it all decked out. I don't know the caterers are on top there, but be that as it may, the Jews were very definite as to exactly what they wanted. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Nabi Isa was a very soft man. He was young when he died, he was about 33, 34 years old. So he was a young man, and like all the Anbiya, he was a very soft Nabi. And he made, he says, Rabbana anzil alayna ma'idatan min as-sama. He said, oh Allah, send for us a table decked with fruit and meats and whatever else. Min as-sama, from heaven. Takunu na'idan li'awwalina wa akhirana. So that it may be for us, the Mani Israel, an Eid, a day of celebration for us until the day of Qiyamah. And as a sign from you, O Allah, that I am your prophet and I will send with the truth from you. And of course, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepted the dua of, of, of the Anbiya, of course, is accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So here we have a distinct mention of an Eid. Distinct mention of an Eid connected to a Nabi of Allah subhanahu wa So Allah didn't forget, Allah didn't not mention Eids in the Quran when it comes to his Nabis. Allah subhanahu wa doesn't forget to mention their birthdays in the Quran. But why is it, if this is mentioned in the Quran, Isa's birth is mentioned in the Quran, his miraculous birth. We have all Surah Maryam that describes his birth from A to Z. How Jibreel came to say that to Maryam and how she withdrew herself and how she went and shook the date tree and how food came and, and so forth and so on and so on, how he was born and so on and so on. None of this is done for Muhammad sallallahu The birth of Muhammad is not described in the Quran. In fact, there's no reference in the whole Quran to the birth of the Nabi sallallahu at all. So why is it that we also don't celebrate the birthday of Isa alayhi We have lots of, if I want to celebrate the birthday of Isa alayhi I could just refer to the Quran and say, yes, yeah, Allah says, talks in the Quran about his birth. Allah talks in the Quran about the Eid that the Jews celebrate for when Allah sent on the table. So it's all there. The word Eid is mentioned, the word birth is mentioned, all these words are mentioned. But insofar as Muhammad sallallahu is concerned, none of these words are mentioned. Not at all. Allah doesn't refer to it at all. So, why then has nobody come up with the idea? I mean, we're full of ideas, isn't it? We make, we change the dates of the Prophet's birth to, from Wednesday, one Wednesday to the other Wednesday. We just go to Kiraz, we do whatever we want to do. And we say whatever we want to do. But with Isa, nobody's ever said we should celebrate Christmas with the Christians. But why not? Let's say we celebrated it on the 1st of January instead of 25th of. But why do we not celebrate it? When we have all the evidence in the Quran, why not? You know why? Because Muhammad didn't celebrate it. And why do we fast on the 10th of Muharram? 10th of Muharram, when the Nabi came to Medina, Lama Qadiman Nabi and I quote a hadith from Bukhari by Ibn Abbas Qadiman Nabi al Madinata. When the Nabi came to Medina, he saw that the Jews fasted on the day of Ashura, which is the 10th day of Muharram. And he called some of the Jews and he said, Why are you fasting on the 10th day of Ashura? They said to the Nabi, this is a holy day for us. It's a holy day. Rabbi asked, what holy day is it? They said, هَذَا يَوْمٌ نَجَّى اللَّهُ بَنِي إِسْرَائِيلٌ مِنْ عَدُوِّهِمْ فَصَامَ مُوسَى عَلَيْهِ صَلَاةُ وَسَلَامُ They said, the Jews said to the Prophet this is the day on which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rescued the Jews from Fir'aun. And on this day, Musa fasted in thanksgiving to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Nabi said to them, فَأَنَا فَأَنَا حَقُّ Nabi said to the Jews, فَأَنَا حَقُّ بِمُوسَى مِنْكُمْ 
Prophet said, I am more worthier of Musa than you. Because I follow the Tawheed of La ilaha illallah of Musa I am closer to Musa and worthier of Musa than you. Fasamahu wa amara bisawmihi. So the Nabi Sallallahu fasted and he ordered all the Muslims to fast. In fact, some Muslims didn't know they had to fast on that day. So during the day, the Prophet sent around Sahaba to tell the people to stop eat and to fast on the day of Ashura. So why do we fast on the day of Ashura? Because Musa fasted? No. Because Muhammad Sallallahu fasted. And I know all of us, or most of us fast on the 10th of Baharram. Because we follow the Sunnah of Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So, it, is, it becomes very clear that there are two measures by which we measure what we do. وَمَا آتَاكُمُ الرَّسُولُ فَخُذُوا وَمَا نَاكُمْ عَنُّ فَانْتَهُوا وَاتَّقُوا اللَّهِ أَطِيعُوا اللَّهَ وَأَطِيعُوا الرَّسُولِ Two measures by which we measure ibadah. And what is ibadah? Ibadah is taqarrub. Ibadah is to get close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when we want to make an ibadah, we look at two things. Is it in the Quran for us? And also, more importantly, did the personality that expressed the Quran, Muhammad sallallahu did he do what, is what he was commanded to do by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran? So two things. One must be, it must be in the Quran, and secondly, it must have been done by Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Secondly, the question of the fast of the Prophet sallallahu on Mondays, and I've referred to this before. Abi Qatada reports that the Nabi Sallallahu The Prophet was asked, why do you fast on a Monday? The Prophet said, that was the day on which I was born. I was born on a Monday. He didn't say I was born on the 12th Rabi al-Awwal. That wasn't his answer. He said, I was born on a Monday. So he fasted every Monday. It is also the day on which I received prophethood and on which revelation came to me. So three things. Rabbi Sallallahu fasted on a Monday because he was born on a Monday. So he fasted every Monday. If he said Rabiul Awal, the 12th, he would only have fasted on that one day, which was his birthday, but he didn't do that. He fasted on every single Monday. And for three reasons. One, that he was born on that day. Secondly, that he received prophethood on that day. Thirdly, that he said he received revelation on that particular day. So the first point that I made to you was the fact that there are two things which, on which ibadah is based. And ibadah's object is to get close to Allah. So through ibadah, we get close to Allah. So it's very important for a Muslim to know what is the difference between an ibadah and a bid'ah. Because if you don't know the difference between the two, you will commit the bid'ah and you will leave the ibadah of Allah. Instead of getting close to Allah, you get further away from Allah. As the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam says in the hadith, those who practice bid'ah, every time you practice it, Allah takes away from your sunnah. You forget about a sunnah. Every time you practice bid'ah, Allah takes away. And Nabi Sallallahu says, there's no shafa'ah, of course, for the people who practice bid'ah. The very famous hadith in Bukhari, where the man comes on the day of Qiyamah and he comes for water and the angel will tell the Nabi Sallallahu Ya Rasulullah this man don't give him water and the Nabi will say but why can't I give him water he's of my ummah he's, he, I, I, this man is a, he's one of my ummah so the angel will say to the Nabi Sallallahu Ya Rasulullah or Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam you do not know the bid'ah that these people practiced after you did after you died, they made, brought all sorts of things into Islam. Justified it, 
by so many words. For example, people use the word bid'ah hasana. A term which never existed, a term that was created 200 years after the death of the Nabi How is it possible? As Jabir ibn Abdullah, he says when the Nabi got on the member, and he quoted the following hadith, he turned red. Then he looked extremely angry. Then he looked like he got into an extreme temper. What was the hadith? The hadith was, Inna ahsan al-kalami kalamullah. The Prophet ﷺ said, Verily, the best speech is the speech of Allah. Wa khayr al-hadi, hadi Muhammadin sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And the best guidance is the guidance of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Wa sharr al-umuri muhtathatuha. And the worst of the worst of the worst that a Muslim can do is to practice innovation. And every innovation is misguidance. And every misguidance is in the fire of Jahannam. Because every innovation, every misguidance leads us to away from the taqarrub with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I quoted last time for you Ibn Jawzi, a great humble scholar. When he said, I used to read after every salah for 30 years. For 30 years I have to read after every salah the following. From Surah Ali Imran. Three or four verses from Surah Ali Imran. And he said, after 30 years, and he said, I was taught these to read these verses by my teacher, and I was small. And the teacher quoted, he said, that anybody who reads these verses, Allah will remove the screen that is between him and the person. And Allah will satisfy 70 of the requirements of that person every day, the least of which is Allah will forgive all his sins every day. And he said, for 30 years I used to read this. And after 30 years doing research, I found that the hadith that this is based on is a hadith mawdu'ah. In other words, it's a lie. It's a lie. Prophet never said you should read that. Never said what he said. And I said, immediately I stopped doing it. And he said, one of my students came to me and said to me, but sir, how could you stop doing this? the Qur'an? You're reading from ayat from the Qur'an. Isn't it good to read ayat from the Qur'an? He said, yes, of course. But if it is based on a lie, then it's based on a lie. Which means the Nabi never said it, nor did he do it. And therefore I stopped doing it. So, again, there is the Qur'an and there is the practice of Muhammad And then, of course, there is the discovery that what I've been doing for the last 30 years or 40 years was not what the Nabi taught. And your excuse that there are ulama who does it and my sheikh does it and my maulana does it and my mother did it, and my father did it. Those ahadith is not to be found on the lips of Muhammad Sallallahu Muhammad Sallallahu never said, you should follow your sheikh. Nabi Sallallahu said, ne- didn't fo- mustn't follow, didn't say follow your maulana. He didn't say follow the man with the yellow beard, or the gray beard, or the green. He never mentioned, there's no, none of those ahadith. But what did he say? He said, when he was asked, who will be the group that will be successful on the day of Qiyamah? He was asked. He was asked all questions. He said, "Ma ana alayhi wa ashabi." He said, "The the the the, the, the group, the successful group, will be the group who will follow that which I am upon and my companions." That's what the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said. So don't tell me, so-and-so is a great alim, if he does it, what's wrong with it? Where, where, where is that hadith? Show me. Show me. It doesn't exist. 
And on the day of Qiyamah, you can't tell Allah, Ya Abba, you know, I followed Faiq, you know, he said we must do it. Allah will say, excuse me, I sent Faiq to you as a prophet? I know I sent 124,000, but hey, his name is not mentioned. I'm sure I didn't mention his name. I remember the last one I sent to you was Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa It was your job to find out what did Muhammad say? What did Muhammad say? That is our responsibility and our duty. So knowledge of bid'ah is very important. There is a qaida, there is a rule in Islam which says that every wajib that depends on something else, that thing also becomes wajib. So to know bid'ah is wajib if you want to get close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, so in order that you can stay away from wajib. People ask me a question. Lots of people. Those who like me a little bit. They always ask me the following question. They always come to me with very sadness in their eyes, you know, and sort of, oh, you know, we sort of feel sorry for you. And they, they, this is what they say. You know, you must leave these people alone, man, Sheikh, man. You know, you, you know, you're such an intelligent man, you worry about with these people. Why would you worry with these people? You must leave them alone, you know. They want to do it. Let them do what they want to do. You know. Let them go ahead and do what they want to do. And I say to them, let me give you a mundane, worldly example. Let me give you just a worldly. I'm not going to go to hadith and Quran. Because the many ayat in the Quran tells you how to fight. There's, there's the ayah of the Quran which says, Kuntum khayra ummatin ukhrijat linnas, ta'muruna bil ma'aruf wa ta'nawuna alil mulka wa tu'minuna billah. You are the best of nations. And we know now we're not anymore the best of nations, isn't it? We're not the best of nations. There's another 34 countries that's now also going to bomb us to smithereens in the Middle East. And there's sweet nothing that we can do about it. With all the goodness that we say we are. So we're not anymore the best nation. Why are we not anymore the best nation? When Allah says, if Allah says something, isn't it the truth? But Allah has made it conditional. Allah says, you are the best of nations, for two reasons only. One is that you order the good, and two is you forbid the evil. If you stop doing that, if you say, I can't wait for the heart attack. Inshallah. So what do I say? I say, you know, we have two pandemics in the world. There are two Massive diseases that the whole world suffers from. One is the disease of HIV AIDS. The second is the disease of drugs. These are international massive issues that governments, they spend, our government spends most of the budget on supplying HIV drugs for people who are on HIV. Now the world could have two attitudes to this. First they can say, you know, these people, have, they did what they did, you must just leave them alone, let them die, you know, like many people say, why must we spend so much money and, you know, why must we have rehabilitation centers for drug addicts, we could just, just leave these people alone, you know. The same that they say to me, leave the people alone. If we can't leave those people alone, how can we leave these people alone? How can you leave a man alone when he's, you know, he sees his house is burning and you're not helping him to put out the flames? How can you see a man walking away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and doing something which Muhammad didn't do and you do nothing about it? Where is the amr bil ma'roof and nahi anil munkar? Where is the ordering the good and forbidding the evil? So people say then, again the argument, but what's wrong, you know? What is wrong with putting salawat on Muhammad sallallahu well, even if you do it in Athens Stadium. But what is wrong with, with putting salawat? First of all, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Holy Quran, إِنَّ اللَّهَ وَمَلَائِكَتَهُ يُصَلُّونَ عَلَى النَّبِي يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا صَلُّوا عَلَيْهِ وَسَلِّمُوا تَسْلِيمًا It's a command. 
اللهم صلي على محمد كماند الله سيز فيرلي الله نيز بيسين جي بوت صلوات on the Nabi Sallallahu oh you people who believe, put salawat on the Nabi Sallallahu What do you think the next thing is that happened? Sahaba came, Fair Rasulullah. So this verse is now revealed. So how, how must we, I want, I want to quote the hadith for you. I want to listen carefully to the hadith. I'll quote it in English so that you understand what I'm saying. Abdurrahman ibn Abi Layla, Sahabi, great Sahabi, he says, he met Kaab ibn Ujrah. And he said, Kaab ibn Ujrah said to me, Shall I give you a gift I got from the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam? And he said, Yes, give me the gift. What is the gift that the Nabi gave? And he said, The verse of salawat on the Nabi was revealed in the Quran and we asked the messenger of Allah what did they ask? Did they ask, oh messenger of Allah, how do we put salawat and salam on you? No. They asked oh messenger of Allah how do we ask Allah to put salawat on you? Now, if you remember nothing about my khutbah today, I want to remember this. I want you to remember this. Wake up quickly for five minutes. You can go back to sleep afterwards. But I want you to remember this very important point. This is extremely important. You see, we always say we put salawat on the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Which we don't. We don't. Why not? Because... Salawat on the Nabi is a dua. We never say, we always say, Allahumma salli. O sallallahu ala Muhammad. I never say, O salli ala Muhammad. I don't say, I put salawat on. If I should say, I put, I would say, O salli ala Muhammad. I put salawat Muhammad. We don't say that. We say, Allahumma salli. Oh Allah, you put salawat on the Nabi sallallahu Oh, I say, Sallallahu ala Muhammad. Allah put salawat on Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa So what is, what is putting salawat on the, It's a dua from me. And Nabi Sallallahu was a very, he was a very, he was a, a very shy man. He didn't say put salawat. Imagine he stood, Nabi Sallallahu stood in front of the comment and said, you must put salawat on me, no? I mean, really now? No. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, He puts salawat on Muhammad So we should ask via Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allahumma salli ala. So he said, what is the gift? We ask the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa how must we ask Allah to put salawat on you? And how should we ask Allah to put salawat on, the, on your household, your family? And the Nabi sallallahu said, say, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad. وَعَلَىٰ آلِ مُحَمَّدٍ كَمَا صَلَّيْتَ عَلَىٰ إِبْرَاهِيمٍ وَعَلَىٰ آلِ إِبْرَاهِيمٍ وَبَارِكْ عَلَىٰ مُحَمَّدٍ وَعَلَىٰ آلِ مُحَمَّدٍ كَمَا بَارَتْتَ عَلَىٰ إِبْرَاهِيمٍ وَعَلَىٰ آلِ إِبْرَاهِيمٍ فِي الْعَالَمِينَ إِنَّكَ حَمِيدٌ مَجِيدٌ اللهم صل على محمد So the very essence of salawat has been taught to us by the person whom Allah had sent to teach us how to put salawat Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So all those fat books of salawat that some person has written sitting in Yemen, Hadramaut, 300 years ago, that was from his own mind. Maybe out of love for the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, I don't know. All those history stories that they read, that somebody has written, not hadith, not from the Quran. This is from Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. This is how we should do it. And that is why we do it five times every day, in fact more. We put salawat on the Nabi So we don't need a day, we don't need a night, we don't need an hour, we don't need a birthday. Every single, we're not like the Christians who celebrate the birth of their Savior only on one single day and then, it, then that's it. No. We celebrate the praises of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we Ask Allah to put salawat on his prophet every single day, five times at least, every single day.
about this bid'ah hasana or good bid'ah. So we've heard bid'ah is dalala, bid'ah is uh, misguidance and all misguidance in the fire. So somebody comes along and says, ah, but you see there's something called a good bed. A good bed. Bid'ah, bed, hasana, good, good bed. It's a good bed. These are all things Muslims come up with, things that doesn't make sense at all in the Arabic language. Doesn't make sense. Anyway, somebody came up with it. But there were those who opposed it vehemently of the great scholars of Islam, like Imam Malik, for example. And I want to quote you what Imam Malik said, Rahimahullah. Imam Malik says, whoever innovates, whoever celebrates a bid'ah in Islam, and he calls it a bid'ah hasana, he calls it a, bid, a good bid'ah, Imam Malik says. He has claimed that Muhammad sallallahu has betrayed the message that Allah has sent to him. So if you say, there is a good bid'ah which I'm doing, then Imam Malik says you betrayed, that you are accusing Muhammad sallallahu of having betrayed the revelation which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had given to him. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Today have I perfected for you your faith. And what are you doing? You're saying, no, there is a good bed that still has to be added. A little bit of good bed that must be added. And we will add that. So, there are four things I want you to remember. And I'm not here to condemn those who make maulud. My job is to tell you the facts. Nabi Sallallahu had one job only, is to convey the message. Bas, that's it. Whatever you do, that's your responsibility. I have to carry out my responsibility, and you have to carry out your responsibility. <coughs> First of all, so remember the thing about the salawat. Remember it is, it's, it's dua. If you put salawat, you are making dua for Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. I've referred to the Quran and the mention of Isa in the Quran. The mention of Musa by the Nabi sallallahu alayhi The celebrations around their name. What about Mawlud in the Qur'an? Because that's the first place we look. Unfortunately, there's not a single mention of the birth of Muhammad in the Qur'an. Neither is there any instruction in the Qur'an to celebrate his, his birth. If there's anybody here who has an ayah to quote, I will give you five minutes to do it. So the Quran, the Quran mentions Isa's birth. The Quran mentions so many other people's birth. The Quran mentions all the celebrations around their births, as I've told you. Allah sent a table of food from heaven and they celebrated that. But nothing about Muhammad Wasallam. Alright, so let's assume it's not in the Quran. So the second place we go, we go to the... We ask your alim, please. Let him not ah, ah. Ask him a straight question. Is it in the Quran? I say yes or no. Okay, fine. He says no. Then come to Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Did the Nabi sallallahu instruct people to celebrate his birthday? No. Also, I must say immediately that if you celebrate your birthday, it's got nothing to do with us. If you celebrate your birthday, that's your birthday. You can celebrate your birthday. Why? Because you don't, you're not saying it's a, it's a sunnah, it's part of the deen, or Muhammad Sallallahu did this or that. No, no, no. You're not saying that. You just celebrate it. Fine. There's no, no problem with that. Call your family together. You have a cake. You cut it up. And you dish it out. And you have a, nothing wrong with that. But why are we talking? We're talking specifically about our deen, which is something different. This is a matter of deen, matter of aqidah, matter of belief. We have to believe correctly. So the Nabi didn't. Neither did he instruct his companions to do it. His companions after he may have said, well, 
Muhammad forgot to tell us. You know? He was such a nice man. He was such a shy man. He never asked us to celebrate his birthday. But now that he's gone, we're going to celebrate his birthday. They didn't do that. You know, it's like us. We never gave our fathers and mothers anything while they were alive, but when they did, I do yen yama ningal, was noifa amal kum raised. Two yama ningal, komavia. Three yama ningal, we have to teen yama ningal, no? Had kubestu, said blom up, magdoa. So when the poor people were alive, nothing happened. So, so after his death, there was no more mania, there was no more stopping anybody from doing it. Did they do it? No. Abu Bakr? No. Omar? No. If only the love of Abu Bakr should be placed on a scale, it will weigh heavier than the seven heavens and the seven earths. The love of that one man for Muhammad He also forgot. Omar forgot. Uthman forgot. All the Sahaba, 120,000 went with him for Hajj. All of them forgot. In other words, basically none of them celebrated. The birthday of the Nabi The generation after them, the generation after them, Tabi'in, nobody. Now, there are people who say that people who don't celebrate the Mawlud are called Salafis. Other words, Salafi. People who don't celebrate the birthday of the Nabi Salafi. What is a Salafi? Someone says, what is the word Salaf? What does it mean, Salaf? Salaf refers to who? Salaf refers to the pious predecessors. Are they called a Salaf Salih? Pious predecessors. Who are they? They lived in three generations. About which the Nabi said, Khairul Qurun Qarni. The best generation is my generation. So what are the Salafis? The Salafis is Muhammad plus the Sahaba plus the Tabi'in. So if you say anything bad about the Salafis, who are you talking bad about? You are saying Muhammad is a Salafi. Omar, another Salafi. Wabakar, another Salafi. So careful. Be careful. Be careful what you hear and what you say. Don't just say, oh, Salah, oh, oh, Wahhabis. Wahhabis. They say, who are these people in you know, Wahhabis? SubhanAllah. Have you read anything about Imam Abdul Wahhab? Do you know the situation that was in Makkah and Medina when he came? When he reformed Makkah and Medina? I told you about the book that you should read. Written by Carl Richard Burton. He wrote it in the 1800s, maybe late 1700s. He was a Britisher who lived in North Africa, learned all the habits of the Arabs, learned their language, speak, spoke it fluently. Then he went for Hajj. He didn't want to convert. He went for Hajj. So he wrote all his experiences that he saw in Medina and Makkah. If you should read that, you think, Ya Allah, was it really like that? The slave markets were outside the haram, the grave of the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, the slave markets in Medina and Makkah. People selling slaves in the haram, just outside the haram. Most of the population of Makkah consisted of dogs. There was a plague of dogs. Nobody wanted to get rid of the dogs. The dogs were everywhere. That's how he describes it. SubhanAllah. I don't want to tell you more because mashallah looks so beautiful today. So a man by the name of Abdul Wahab came along. He was a human being like me. He said, but this is not part of our deen, it's part of Islam. We must cleanse. These are the clean, should be the cleanest areas. We should cleanse this place. Haram of Medina and Haram of Makkah. And that's how it started. And one must see his history against that kind of background. So when people use the term Salafi, you must tell him, brother, you're talking about the Prophet now. You must be careful. You're talking about Abu Bakr and Umar. Those were the Salafis. Those were the Salaf al-Salih. You're talking about the tabi'in. Those were the salaf of salih. Careful. Careful about the words that you use. And then, of course, comes Imam Shafi'i, Imam Abu Hanifa, Imam Malik, Imam Ahmad ibn Hamma. The eponyms of the establishers of the four 
schools of Islamic thought about we all are members of, either Shafi, Hanafi, or Hanbali, or Maliki. None of them said a single word about the Mawlud of Muhammad Maybe, you know, people, you would think they would refer to it. Not one word did any one of these four great scholars say about Mawlud of Muhammad Not a single word. I'm saying it in the masjid so you can confirm it. You mean, Sheikh, they didn't even refer to it. They were totally oblivious. Why? Because not celebrate, it was never celebrated in their time. There was no question of it. They didn't, you know, Imam Shafi, these are great, these are mujtahidun. They would think about everything and discuss everything. In fact, when, the, when, when Mawlid was started 600 years after the death of the Nabi, when all these people had passed away, Imam Shafi, all of them had passed away, there was great debate in the Muslim world about whether we should celebrate. Of course, it was started by the Fatimids, the Ismaili uh, Shia in Egypt, who were the ba- they also called the Batinis. In other words, they, uh, they hid their deen. Didn't tell anybody what they believed in. So when they took over Egypt, when they conquered Egypt, the Fatimids, they started five Mawluds. First the Mawlud of Ali, then the Mawlud of Fatima, then the Mawlud of Hassan, Mawlud of Hussein, the Mawlud of the ruler of the time, and then when they conquered Egypt, they added the sixth one, Mawlud of Muhammad Because the Sunnis were weak, they were dominated by the Shia at the time, they didn't have a choice, so they... Even the ulama at that time supported this new celebration that the, the Shia started. So, Shia must carry on with their celebration. So, 600 years after the death of the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So, none of the previous generations before that said anything. In fact, when this whole argument, when this whole, it was a big debate in the Muslim, Sunni Muslim world on this Mawlud, new Mawlud thing that came up. Of course, all the Madaib, Shafi was, had passed away, Abu Hanif had passed away. And everybody participated in this debate except the Hanafis. Hanafis had said, this is a nonsense debate. We're not even going to participate. So not a single Hanafi alim wrote anything on Mawlud. They said, but how? This is just a great bidah. We, we should leave it. Do away with it. Don't celebrate it. And, and of course, what I'm saying to you is, you can go on the internet and you can read about these things. You, you, those of you who read books can read it. So again, I repeat what I said in the beginning, that this is the situation that we're in. And the situation is only going to get worse, not better. More and more of these issues are going to arise in the community. More and more of these innovations are going to be established in the community. And we have to understand that the Nabi had said, لَتُنْ قَضَنَّ عُرَ الْإِسْلَامِ عُرْوَةً عُرْوَةً that this deen will be broken down pillar by pillar. Not by an alliance of nations that will bomb us out of this world. No. Nabi Sallallahu said, this deen will be broken down by the Muslims pillar by pillar. Islami urwatan urwa. He says, this, this, these Muslims will break down their deen one principle by principle. فَأَوَّلُهُنَّ نَقْضًا الْحُكُمْ and the first principle they will break down, says the Nabi Sallallahu will be the principle of the law of Islam, the hukum of Islam. The laws of marriage will go, <clears throat> the laws of inheritance will go, the laws of all these laws will go. People will say, well, I live in South Africa, I have a, we have a constitution, I follow the constitution. We have such and such and I follow that. <clears throat> I want to give you some insight into what I see now lately. Now, <clears throat> we've gone through a period of quotas for Hajj, isn't it? And we've seen how <clears throat> the, imp- 
implementation of these quotas has meant that many of us couldn't go for Hajj. So what we do is we go for Umrah. Nothing wrong with that. If you can't go for Hajj and you want to go for Tumakh, go for Umrah. But I want to warn you that now that information has come that the quota will be reinstated as it was in the beginning, 12 and a half thousand. If you haven't yet gone for Hajj, and I make an analogy, I say if you come into the masjid, and it's Dhuwar Salah. And you make two rakahs, Sunnah before Dhuhr. And then you walk out of the masjid. And you say, one day inshallah I'll come make Dhuhr. For now I'm only prepared to make the Sunnah. So if you have money, and you say, well, you know, Umrah has now become the latest not far. You haven't performed your hajj yet. What do people do now? They go in their thousands for Umrah. And they don't go for hajj. People go for Umrah one year, next, one after. But that was because of the quota system. But that system has now stopped. So now, you must be careful. If you haven't gone for Umrah and you can't go for hajj, you should first go for hajj. Don't climb on this bandwagon of, oh, everybody's going for Umrah. You can't just make the sunnah of Dhuhr and not make Dhuhr. Isn't it? Farul comes before the sunnah. Remember what I'm saying to you? Don't jump on that bandwagon. First thing, have I performed Hajj? I haven't performed Hajj. It's going to cost me the same money to perform Hajj as Umrah. I have a duty to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I can give a million rand in, in, in sadaqah, but I haven't given my zakah. I should first give my zakah before I build the masjid. I should not fast the month of Ramadan before I fast every Monday and Thursday. If I don't fast my Ramadan, there's no fight and fasting in any other days of the year. And if I don't go for Hajj, which is the last pillar, if I don't go for Hajj, and I've already been to Mecca for Umrah, and I die, then the Nabi Sallallahu says, you can choose to die either as a Christian or a Jew. You have a choice. Just, just something which I want to tell you so that you become aware. Because we're all hyped up on this Umrah thing. Everybody's hyped. You know. Our family's going, such going, such going. And I look at the people and I say to them, but you haven't been for Hajj. You're spending so much money, your last money. You're taking your family, you haven't been for Hajj. You're in trouble. You have to go for Hajj next year if you go now for Umrah. The wajib becomes wajib, wajib, wajib ten times on you. Why? Because you had the means to go and you didn't go. Who can choose? Who, who, who has the choice of dying as a Christian or a Jew? Those who had the means to go and didn't go. They went for something else. They went for Umrah or something. I'm not saying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala won't accept your Umrah. If you, have, if you have the intention of going for Hajj immediately the next year, fine, you go. But you should tell your family and your children, if they haven't performed Hajj, they should first perform the Hajj. Latun qadanna ural Islam urwatan urwa. So I said, the Prophet said, Muslims will break down this deen. The first thing will be the hukum of Islam, which will go. And the last thing that Muslims won't do anymore is salah. That's what I always tell people when you go for Umrah or for Hajj. The most important activity there is Salah. Now I always tell people my age, you should pace yourself when you go there. Don't overdo it. Do only the Salah if that is what you can do. Everybody should do that. You should try, not try, but you should, if, unless you're sick. Make your Salah five times a day in the Haram. That's the most important Ibadah. 
I see now there are groups of people who go with other groups and they have a program. And the program is they make hadat and they make maulud and they make all. There's no mention at all about any of the sunnah of Muhammad nor is they mention of anything else. We've now turned the whole of Hajj into a whole bid'ah journey. All the barakah is gone. You ask ourselves, so many people are going, but no barakah is coming home. No barakah is coming home. Because all the things that we should do, we don't do. And all the things that we shouldn't do, we do. And Hajj and Umrah is so simple. I can teach you to go for Hajj in 10 minutes. Come to me, I'll teach you in 10 minutes. You're going to go for Umrah, I'll teach you in 10 minutes. It has to be like that because these ibadat, Allah has prescribed for every single Muslim. Whether he can read or write, whether he's blind, crippled or lame. So everybody has to be able to do it. It has to be so simple that everybody should be able to do it immediately. Isn't it? So 99% of those, the time that we spend, I mean, on Arafah. Sahaba asked, Ya Rasulullah, we are on Arafah. What do we do on Arafah? They asked the Prophet, what should we do on Arafah? Stand out of the tent for three hours in the sun and faint? Did he say that? Prophet ﷺ, do that. No, he didn't do that. What did he say to the Sahaba? He said, say that which all the Anbiya of Allah has said. Say the best dhikr that Allah taught to Nabi Adam from Adam to Muhammad ﷺ. Say, La ilaha illallah. Bas. That's what he said. You want to do things in Arafah? You find yourself a corner, you say, La ilaha illallah. From the time that you're there until the time you go. And if you get bored of that, you know something wrong with you. <laughs> so may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, make us of the butasanninin, the sunnati Muhammad those who follow, make it ba. Your life will be so simple. So easy. Very easy. You'll focus on what you should do. You'll have time for your friends, your family, your grandchildren. You'll have time to have a nice long lunch, nice long supper. You'll have time for everything. Show your wealth, your health, everything. It's the bidah that keeps us busy. Wallahi, wallahi, I'm telling you. All those things that we added, that keeps us busy. You want to Davis? Don't think we are Davis? Don't think we are Davis? And if you, if, you look, if you look at it and you say, but why must I be there? Where does Nabi Muhammad say I must be there? Where does the Quran say I must be there? I don't have to be there. I can spend my time in a better way, doing something which Allah Subhanahu is pleased with. Why must I run around this world like a. I'm not going to say like a what. So may Allah subhanahu be uh, guide us and inshallah may Allah be pleased with us. And uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guide our children inshallah and guide our communities and protect us inshallah. Wallahu ta'ala alam wa alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.